Everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Game Devs Quest, your once weekly or sometimes last podcast, following two game dev scrubs into game devdom. If we can do it, you can too. I'm Rhett. I'm Taylor. And we are joined by our good buddy Zivix today. Say what's up. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome back, dude. It's been a while. Thanks for coming and joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. What have you been up to since uh, last we chatted? Oh, man. Uh, since we last chatted, a whole lot of stuff. Um, ended up releasing Bewilderbots and dealing with all the fun post-launch events. Um, <laughs> then kind of, I guess, trying to figure out what I wanted to do after that. I ended up doing quite a few game jams and sort of burning myself out. So I took a bit of a break from game dev. Um, and basically, over the last few months, ever since the year started, I've just kind of been diving in and going really hard on learning and improving so that's kind of been that yeah man it's pretty cool nice. uh hearing you in the discord you're one of the more vocal people so it's always like you're working on something which is awesome i try to except yeah. for those those times where i really need to take a break because i kind of well, take those um oh sorry Oh, no, I think you and I are the same where we, like, find something, we hit it as hard as we possibly can, and then probably yeah. burn out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, sounds like Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, it's rough. It's rough. Um, I know, I think before when we talked to you last time, it was pre-Bewilderbots uh, launch. How did, uh, how did that go? Yeah, that's what I want to hear about. It's like how, like you know, how did launch go? What did you learn? Like, what were some of the like biggest things that you had to work on after you launched? Oh wow! So let's see. I, I guess before I think it was about a month before launch that we ended up doing the podcast. I can't exactly remember because it's been quite a while. I mean, it's been. Um, I'll look it up right here. Yeah. So essentially. Launch went pretty well, I'd say. I did end up getting some media coverage, which was exciting. Not a whole lot. I ended up getting like small one small review, um, as well as some like video features and all of that. Um, there was one video feature in particular where someone was playing through the start of the game and they were struggling. So I ended up kind of swiftly making a bunch of changes or adding certain things like the undo button, which wasn't in the game before which was a huge mistake but you know live and learn um so it's a pretty helpful button yeah yeah especially <laughs> when you have uh those puzzles that you've been working on solving for an hour with 10 robots you make one mistake yeah yeah so um just so for everybody listening it actually by game devs quest standards was not that long ago it was episode 115 may 30th 2019 so we're nearing on like a year like 10 months whatever but it was only like 10 episodes ago or something like that so <laughs> dang um so go listen to episode 115 where we talk about bewilderbots yeah well that's not that long ago actually i suppose in the grand scheme of things it was yeah we've been struggling uh getting episodes out so yeah <laughs> it feels like a long time ago but it wasn't actually yeah i mean as you age, life is going to just get crazier and crazier, and those time jumps don't 
feel quite as long. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So what else? Uh, what else have you been working on? I know you've been pretty excited about something currently. Do you want to talk about any of that stuff? Um. I mean, right now there's no particular projects that I'm working on. I've been kind of going down this rabbit hole that started with, as many in the game there's Quest Community Discord will know. Um, towards the start of the year, I had been looking at Mono Game versus Game Maker Studio 2, trying to decide exactly what I want to do and whether I want to try to push games out very quickly or go for something where I go a little more low level and I learn a lot from it. I gain a lot more of a uh, deeper understanding of how things work kind of under the hood, or at least under the hood compared to something like Unity. Um, right. But that led me down through like basically ECS and data-oriented design, watching so many talks from people like Mike Acton in particular, and kind of, I guess, challenging all of the things that I had learned in school and the way that I had approached programming, um, because I believe that I had kind of bought into the whole super OOP focused look at these design patterns and principles and just apply them and, right. you know, gravitate towards the idea of silver bullets, even if you know that there are none. Um, so <laughs> it was that whole kind of thing. And it led me, I guess, eventually down to this rabbit hole where I started to look into handmade hero and C and all of these different alternatives that have popped up to C over the last 10 years or so. Notably, um, started, I guess, with Jai, and then I was looking into, like, Odin, Nim, Zig, etc. Um, Rust and D, I know, are also kind of like C, C++ alternatives. So, right. largely been digging into Odin as the main one, because Odin and Jai were the ones that kind of piqued my interest the most, probably due to the level of control that they give. And I know that Jai... It's made by Jonathan Blow, who, for those who don't know, made oh, right. The Braid and The Witness. Um, so he's definitely somebody who's really experienced and who's known in the community. And he's been working on this programming language for about six years or so. And I guess it's in closed beta now. But Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy. I know they're making a game right now. It's a Sokoban or block-pushing style game. Uh, they're making it all in that Jai language to make sure that it's tested and that it's kind of proven they've made an entire engine in it. So wow, they're really going crazy with it. <laughs> um, and there are a lot of cool features in it. There are a lot of things that look really interesting. And that, I guess, is what initially pulled me in, the idea of this language designed around simplicity and the joy of programming and principles like that specifically for the development of games. And then, of course, Odin is another language that's kind of similar. It's made by a, uh, a guy named Gingerbill. And he kind of had this similar idea in 2016. He had a New Year's resolution to make a... or make all of his new programs in C exclusively because he wanted to kind of figure out what it was that he wanted from a programming language and figure out if he could do everything in C. And he found out that he could, though he wanted some additional things and he started messing with 
meta programming to try to improve it a little bit. And he realized that he needed to just start with his own fresh language to kind of get what he really wanted to out of it. So it is Odin um, basically a, a different language that's written in C? Yeah, so what Odin is, it is its own language. The compiler is written in C, uh-huh. but the language itself is its own thing. It is not C, and it has a lot of differences from C, despite the fact that it is inspired largely by C, Pascal, and Go, if okay. I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he has a similar approach that Jonathan Blue has, where he wants to be focused on simplicity and readability, um, the joy of programming. He wants people to be able to look through it and easily read the source code from left to right, um, rather than this circular kind of thing that you have in C um, and other C-based languages. And um, on top of that, essentially, he was saying that... I'm trying to remember what I was trying to say. That's okay. Um, I was going <laughs> to... I was going to ask, so what does the syntax look like? Because it sounds like readability is one of the primary drivers for like creating that language. Because, you know, like Ruby and Python, um, they sort of try to look a little more like English. Is it similar to that or does it still have kind of C-style syntax? As for how to explain it, I'm not entirely sure how to describe it. I'd say... It's not too unfamiliar for people who are used to the C-derived languages. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not this crazy thing. It's not Perl. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, for example, like in C, if you have a variable declar- declaration, you might have like int x equals zero. Mm-hmm. And then in Odin, what you can do is you would have x colon... Um, and then you could choose to have that type int or not, you, or and then you would have equal zero. So what you could do is even have that implicit type set where you do i colon equals zero. I see. So Interesting. Yeah, the whole idea there is that in C, when you have that int x equals zero, what you're saying is if you have variable x, that's right in the middle of that statement. And then you're saying that x is an int, and it is 0. Right. Whereas in Odin, you're just saying x is an int that's equal to 0. So gotcha. it reads from left to right. He wants to make it simple in that way, readable in that way. And he values a lot of consistency and explicitness in everything. Looks like we're joined by a visitor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we got our producer in the office here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rhett's holding his baby now. Um, <laughs> um, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's a subtle change, but I can see how just different people have, like, their minds work differently, so it might kind of adapt to others uh, a little better than some of the... Because, I mean, C is like, what... 40, 50 years old at this point. Yeah. And my experience with C, I took one class 
I think it was data structures in college and it was in C and I mean it didn't feel that dissimilar from C++ or even C sharp like a lot of the syntax is pretty similar um, but every you did like everything yourself like all the memory management was done manually um, there wasn't even like strings aren't a thing <laughs> I don't know that yeah. has always kind of stuck with me like if you want to do a string you have to do an array of characters which just makes it so I don't know like I can see the appeal in that it's like lightweight I guess and you have utmost control but um, it's also there's a lot of like tediousness and uh, a lot you as the programmer have to keep track of too so um yeah that's that's interesting and it, i mean like everything practically nowadays too has has been built in some form uh from c like windows started i think uh written in c yeah they might it might have been written in c plus plus like one of the newer versions but um so there's just a lot of power there um it's always like intimidating to me though like looking at these low-level languages, especially when you're doing something that's not just like a console application. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I asked you um, if you were tapping into like OpenGL or I don't, what are some of the other ones, like SDL or something, like some of the... Yeah, I that's no. The right, no, I, like I haven't... Video stuff. I haven't messed with any of that yet. Um, I'm still pretty early in this whole journey at the moment. I yeah. haven't done a whole lot with Handmade Hero, and I think that in a discussion I had recently, somebody was saying that because of where Odin is um, and because I have interest in it, there might not be much point in doing things with C now just because it is legacy, it is so old, and it doesn't have all these kind of modern conveniences that something like Odin does have. Um, I see. And... I mean, there there is value in learning that, I think, potentially. Mm -hmm. But I am considering just kind of rewriting what I've done in Handmade Hero in Odin and then continuing with the rest of whatever I do in Handmade Hero in Odin itself. Because um, Odin does have full interop with C. So you can import libraries and use that. And then C-style strings, you can... There is actually a keyword in Odin called C-string. And that is a null terminated string like in C. Because okay. Odin's, Odin's default uh, string, it has stuff like the length of data included in it. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe they're UTF 8 by default. Um, can't gotcha. recall exactly. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what Handmade Hero is? Oh, yeah. So Handmade Hero is a. I don't know if it would necessarily be called a movement, but it is a series that was created or started in 2014 by an individual of the name Casey Muratori, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and his whole idea with that was that so many programmers these days don't understand what's going on at the lowest level. They don't understand where that low-level uh, code is interacting with the hardware itself. Um, they have all these 
conveniences of modern languages kind of abstracting away a lot of the knowledge that they would otherwise be getting. Um, right. So the whole idea is you're making a game uh, completely from scratch in C. The only things that you're importing basically are the OS specific libraries that you have to use in order to get something like a screen up and running on Windows. Wow. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that's like game dev on hard mode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely not how I think I'd go about programming my own games. Right. But I mean, who knows? We'll see. But I do think there is a lot of value in simply just learning how all of this works. I think it's fascinating. Um, For sure. And it's something that, I mean, I'm the guy who I've been actively avoiding stuff like C++ my entire life just because it kind of intimidated me. Every Even yeah. the default like Hello World example because of the, uh, the that double angled bracket uh, <laughs> syntax. Right. Um, and then the use of like, instead of the dot operator for um, calling a library's function and had that double uh, colon. Like, I oh, don't know, yeah. stuff like that for some reason. I was just like, oh, this looks so different. I don't know if right. I could uh, if I could kind of tolerate that. I'm going to stick with C++ or, or, sorry, C Sharp for a little while. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Well, I, uh, I came from C++. Well, first I learned Java, and I didn't understand it at all. I ended up dropping computer science as a major because I didn't understand it at all. The second time around, it was mostly C++. And like as soon as I got to C Sharp, I was like, what? This is so refreshing and easy compared to C++. Even though it's not like that different. Um, but yeah, there is some scary, weird syntax. And um, I don't know, all the, the memory management stuff. But Yeah, what's really funny about that is just how similar C Sharp and Java are in terms of syntax. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you could pretty much read one and one and not know the difference between them, unless there's like very specific language stuff. Like I forget what um, like console dot right line in Java is. It's like a, um, a print line or something like that instead of right line. But yeah, I, I code in Java every day, and I'm struggling to remember now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you probably wow. do you write console apps at work? Uh no, not really. Um, most yeah. of the logging we we use a separate logger. Gotcha. What do you? Uh, not to get too off topic, but mm-hmm. what are you uh, working on at work? Like, what kind of stuff do you do f- at work with Java? Um, so right now I'm work just on kind of backend applications. Like the application that I work on right now, kind of deals with barcodes, more or less. Um, okay. Oh, right. Yeah, so it's like REST, RESTful Java um, web services. Okay, interesting. So you write the kind of back-end API stuff in Java? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's the application that I was moved to somewhat recently, within the last few I months. See. And so I've kind gotcha. of been learning from that. It's a smaller application, so it's been quite a bit more accessible than the previous one. I know that the previous application I was struggling with a little bit. It's a rather large application with uh, about 20 years or so behind it. I mean, it's almost wow. older than I am. So, 
So like yeah. millions of lines of code? No, no, it's not millions. I, okay. No, it's 20 years old and it's only 3,000 lines. It's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's not, not 3,000. The uh, newer application that I'm working on is, I think, about 3,000 or so. Um, okay. The other one might be, I think, in the order of hundreds, probably. Yeah. Um, what's your feeling about Java at this point after doing it professionally? Um, so I was a little disheartened by it last year, admittedly, but yeah. the new application that I've been working on has made it a little... Uh, I guess it's changed my perspective on it a little bit. Uh, kind of made me like it more again. Um, it's, uh -huh. I still feel like I prefer C Sharp as a language over Java. Totally. But I think that some of my gripes with Java were more gripes with the specific project and the size of it, especially in terms of like compilation times. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm always just like, don't give me another jar file. <laughs> like Minecraft. I don't have a lot of experience with Java, but I just remember like hating having to deal with like Minecraft stuff, which was all originally Java, you know, trying to figure out what, mm -hmm. I mean, it probably really was just like command line stuff where I had to like invoke a jar file and pass some parameter or something. But um, yeah. And when I first learned Java, like I had no concept what programming was outside of HTML. And so I was just like, I don't know. I couldn't <laughs> hardly grasp like a for loop and stuff. So I, but it's funny because I just hear it like everyone hating on Java. And I don't know if it's warranted or not, but. Yeah, I don't know. Um, like I said, I, I do prefer C Sharp as a language, but. Java at this point, um, especially when you have certain things working with it, it's not it's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was doing for a while. I was getting into design patterns, and one of the design patterns um, video series that I was watching was all Java, and mm -hmm. like syntactically, it was almost identical, outside of like using the word extends for inheritance. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when I first started learning C Sharp with Unity, I took a look at it and I'm like, oh, it's just Java. Yeah. Except <laughs> they they have a different way that they um, import namespaces. Oh, sure. That was that was the only difference that I could think of for the longest time. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what else are you uh, working on? You, with the Handmade Hero stuff, what's like one of the last things that you you did with it and um, where do, where is like the trajectory so i mean i'm only a couple episodes in it's still basically on the windows specific stuff i know it recently got like basically a screen up on windows and mapping um the different pixels onto a bitmap that gets processed onto the screen and i know that next up is sound Oh yeah, the last video was um, controller input via X input as well as um, general keyboard input. So it's all pretty simple, basic stuff right now. It's really yeah. not as overwhelmingly complex as I thought it would be. It's not bad at all. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah, That's it's good. It's crazy how you kind of get in your head about these kinds of things. 
Uh, you yeah. look at something and you think, there's no way that I can do that. And then you actually get in the weeds of it, and it's it's just really not bad. Yeah. I feel like that so, applies to a lot of things in programming. One thing that like, I still don't quite understand that well, uh, but I use a fair amount is like uh, file streams and input streams and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It's just like basically reading in a stream and processing like the the byte array whatever yeah um is it some of that low level stuff does it i mean is it kind of like kind of like that with like sound effects and stuff you're just like basically reading in like a, a stream and then processing the data essentially right so i mean i haven't touched any of the sound stuff yet that's i think the next video that i have uh -huh. Um, and prior to that, I need to kind of get everything moved over from C to Odin. But um, oh, okay, yeah, I haven't messed with any of the I/O or any of the sound uh, elements gotcha. of it yet. Gotcha. No worries. Just curious. I'm always like, like at work, uh, I've had to do some like PDF processing, mm -hmm. uh, where someone basically just like uploads a PDF and then you take it and you save like the data somewhere or whatever and it's like it's not that difficult but like when you're using like the file streams and stuff and you're just like converting it into binary i'm always like what this like i don't understand what is going on here <laughs> but i guess like this code that someone else provided to me seems to work so like i'll just keep using this but yeah the binary stuff know. can be can be intimidating um yeah. i know that what kind of helped me in that regard was dealing with the file saving for the Wuttlebots because all of those files, I wanted to get them as small as possible, especially because I was um, sending them over a network to my desktop from my phone because uh, I had the editor on my phone for the creation right. of the puzzles. Um, and I was just trying to get those files as small as possible. I've since learned uh, over the last like month or two because of the Handmade Hero stuff that uh -huh. They, they're huge compared to what they could have been, um, probably. <laughs> That's um, funny. <laughs> but, you know, you live and learn. Yeah, um, right. It's just, well, it's, it's very interesting. It's not quite as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's just another one of those things like that because in my case, I was just basically going through reading a file and would just read like every byte or something like that. And it would say... If this is zero, then there's um, nothing here. If it is set to something, then it's set to, let's say, an arrow tile, or there's a robot here, or something like that. And then you'd then either skip the next bits of data, or you'd uh, process that to be like, okay, this is the robot's orientation, this is its position, um, or something like that. So gotcha. So like you're you're I mean, essentially, you're looping through the byte array or something, and if you hit like a one at a certain point, you like what check the next string of character or I guess bytes, whatever. Yeah. So in it to determine what that is. Yeah. Essentially, you would have certain values mapped to certain elements um, or certain level elements. And then what you would do is you might go through and you have this many bytes for every cell of the level. 
And then as you would go through every single byte of a level, um, you might also have additional bytes beyond the level or cell byte that indicate additional data. And if you have something in that cell, then you go ahead and process that data. If not, you're just saying like, read this byte and throw it away more or less. So I see. Yeah, I think it's it's basically you just have to create this more or less like arbitrary mapping. And uh -huh. then I mean hopefully if you have another developer that you're working with, you have that documented somewhere or you have some <laughs> some way for somebody to know, well, yeah. what does this binary piece of data mean in this context? Yeah. So otherwise, yeah, it's gonna be pretty terrible, I would think. Honestly, I think that that's the trick with a lot of software too. Like I've been working on like other people's programs at work and like oftentimes in a web app or whatever, you're like checking inputs and stuff and then like firing off a stored procedure and then based off the stored procedure in the database, it returns some value. And a lot of times they're just like numbers mm -hmm. and it'll be like, all right, so this returned like seven what is seven you yeah. know so if it's not documented anywhere what those result codes or whatever are it's just like it doesn't matter if you're a good programmer like you don't you don't know what it's doing so like that whole documentation piece is like so crucial yeah and, and i guess there might be certain ways that you can kind of improve the feeling of that maybe through the use of things like enums or some other thing that you can kind of map to that is human readable or uh -huh. human understandable. Um, but I guess it just kind of depends on the situation. Right. Yeah. I know one thing that kind of always scared me was the bitwise op operators or those bit manipulations. So yeah. using like the and operator or operator, the XOR operator, for some reason, yeah. I could just never wrap my head around those. And I mean, only a couple episodes into Handmade Hero, I'm already starting to find myself thinking about those in certain contexts because it can be very useful, especially if you're using it, I guess, in something that is, I guess, low level. Because like, you have to use it so much for certain Windows uh, functions or procedures because they'll send back a value and it's an int. And that int will contain so many pieces of data that you can process. And it's based on specific bits that are set. So with this one specific parameter that's passed back, you know, I can't remember what it was handling, but it's like the 30th bit uh, tells you whether the keyboard state has changed. Um, between the last uh, poll and this poll or something like that. What? <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of like you'll you'll have all these kind of crazy things where you have that with that 30th bit and then the 31st bit might tell you whether the keyboard's specific key that you're polling is up or down. Man, what? <laughs> yeah, so it's just it seems like it's so heavily oriented around compression of data. Um, yeah, or at least that's kind of my understanding of it. I know that, though it's like thirty minutes into this, I should say, I could be completely wrong about 
almost <laughs> anything that I'm saying because I am learning and yeah. I might just simply have the wrong context. But that's just kind of how I've come to understand it a couple episodes into this, um, more or less. I'm only like six or seven episodes into Handmade Hero right now. Um, and he had like four intro to see videos prior to that. Gotcha, dude. Yeah. How how many episodes does he have? Oh, far far too many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think there are like four, five hundred, something what? like that. Dang. Yeah, well, he's been because, going since 2014, right? <laughs> yeah, because essentially what it is, it's each video is a specific day. And a day will be essentially one hour of actual programming and then about half an hour of Q&A um, okay. to try to... So it's like a stream sure type that. of thing. Yeah, because basically his idea was that he wanted to keep it light enough on a daily basis so that people could actually follow it in real time reasonably. Um, I see. Especially if they have jobs and all that. And I mean, if you do the math, you don't have as many videos as you would have over the course of six years, five days a week. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what happened with scheduling, but I assume that, you know, you have to spend all this time trying to get certain games out or doing whatever with your real life yeah <laughs> guess guess voice appearing here <laughs> <laughs> sorry he's like perfectly quiet when he's got the bottle in his mouth but the moment you take it out he's he gets a little uh, cranky it's understandable well, we got it's a four member team here <laughs> oh yeah yeah holding it down um oh, yeah cool so has the guy who's done handmade hero is he like he's produced some games with it and published them or um uh, so handmade hero itself is a specific game um oh oh i see that's that's the whole idea is it's making this one game from scratch um and if you go to their handmade hero website you can pre-order it and when you pre-order it you actually get uh access to some repo or maybe something like dropbox where you have the wrapped up source files for every single right. episode. And then you also get the game oh. whenever it does come out. But it's just kind of the development's going to be slower because, I mean, yeah. you have to it's iterate it. Yeah, <laughs> that. And you have to iterate it on a one-hour basis, um, right. night by night. Um, so, Well, I'm yeah. glad they didn't go down to the like hardware level. He's like, all right, Handmade <laughs> Hero, episode one. Here's what a circuit is. <laughs> <laughs> build your own computer from scratch build your own circuits yeah, yeah. write your own assembly yeah yeah all, no. all just to make your game oh that sounds awful <laughs> uh, no it's actually it sounds super interesting like i know you've, you've talked about it in the discord and it's been interesting kind of just hearing your take on it but mm-hmm. like it does show or it forces you to think about the things that you don't necessarily need to think about on a day-to-day basis when you're programming or even um you know like i was taught bitwise operators in college i don't mm-hmm. i don't remember them at all i don't know how they work um so i don't know it makes me kind of look back at all those things that i maybe didn't uh it solidify in my brain and want to kind of revisit them so oh, yeah. i might check that out yeah no i i get that for sure 
Um, <laughs> I don't think I was the best student in college, and I kind of really regret it at times because I think about all the time that I had to just simply <laughs> learn. And yeah. the mindset that I have now, if I had then, it would just be insane. I, the amount that I'd be able to take in on a daily basis. But yeah. I don't know. And oh. there are just all these things that I could have learned back then because some of it was taught in school. Some of it wasn't taught super well, but some of it could reasonably yeah. pick up. Oh, but you drive yourself crazy running down that like exactly. kind of thought, you know. It's like, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, what are you gonna do? Unfortunately, Man. like if any of us could go back, we'd like rule the world, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I just look at it like I'm glad that I've found all this stuff at the age that I did. Like the whole rabbit hole with data oriented design and the idea of beginning to view programming as a tool just a tool simply to handle data transformation problems, taking input, producing output. That's kind of the way that so many of these more experienced programmers that I've been seeing kind of talk about it. Um, instead of focusing on like, well, what's the syntax of this? What is this programming language? It's just, how do you identify your problem and solve that problem specifically? Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. Um, it's all, it all is just inputs and outputs. Like I've been thinking about that, uh, with my job and stuff. It's, I don't know. At a certain point, it's like the specifics of the program do, don't matter too much. It's all just about like, what is your data that is being given to you? And what do you need to return? Like, what do you need to do to return the proper result? You know? Yeah. So. And I mean, I was kind of driving myself crazy with this idea of data-oriented design because I was trying to more or less fit it in a box like you would with um, like object-oriented programming. Mm -hmm. You get an idea of what that is. With data-oriented design, I was looking for some sort of programming pattern, like ECS specifically, and I kind of viewed the two as synonymous. But that's not really the case. Data-oriented design is... I guess sometimes designed as more of an anti-pattern because it's just you focus on your data and the specific problem that you're trying to solve and you do whatever you need to in order to solve that specific problem. And you focus on that specific problem itself. You don't try to genericize it or abstract it away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Uh... I don't know. I, I've run into a lot of code too, where object-oriented programming has kind of like, I don't know, been a deficit because everything is so abstracted away. Mm -hmm. It's to the point where you like don't even know like what anything is saying because it's like, I don't know. You got to dig twelve layers deep to figure out what's actually concrete about what you're doing. And I don't know if that's kind of what you mean with the data data-driven design stuff. Is like focusing some of the focusing on some of the concrete pieces but yeah what's, i at least get that sentiment yeah what's interesting to me is how many of these people i know that mike acton in particular is kind of a very very strong uh proponent of this idea but so many people seem to be gravitating towards thinking like object-oriented programming is very bad now 
or at least in, yeah. in most cases, because you're trying to map your problem to a real-world model of something that doesn't really fit. Yeah. Yeah, I keep hearing that too. Um, and I kind of wonder what that means for programmers in 10 or 20 years. Well, uh, whether that'll fade away or we'll stop doing so much object-oriented programming. Yeah, I've seen some talks that seem to suggest that things might be moving more towards a functional style in some ways because so many of these new languages that are coming out are starting to kind of be like an intermediary between functional and object-oriented where they'll have support for both. Um, I know yeah. that Kotlin, I think, was cited as one of those where, I mean, you have the full... Uh, layer that works completely with Java, to my understanding, but it also has some of these other functional elements that you can start using. And apparently, more books are starting to come out about functional programming. So it sounds to some people like we're in the midst of this kind of shift. Yeah, well, and JavaScript is kind of like that too. It's uh, mm -hmm. it's not an object-oriented programming language, although it is, there are actually. features. JavaScript, was, it, JavaScript um, based on the talks that I was watching, I believe that it was said that it started as a object-oriented programming language because the person who... Oh, did I say Java? JavaScript. Oh, jo oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm did, I, 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 might have, I might have misspoken. Because what oh, I was going to say is the guy who, I guess, initially was, initially was working on JavaScript or creating it, uh -huh. I guess I might be wrong from this, but I believe one of the talks that I heard was saying that it started as more of a functional programming language, yeah. but that the higher-ups in the company that he was in wanted to appeal more to Java programmers, so they had him completely shifted over to be an object-oriented language in order to draw people in from Java. Kind of similar to how C++ was... or. No, Java was meant to be familiar to C++ programmers. So, like, everything right. boils back down to C um, yeah. in the end, or branched off of C or C++. So it's it's just so, so fascinating to me, I guess. <laughs> I've watched so many talks, and they're just kind of all, like, jumbled in my brain to an extent. I know that some of them I've watched time and time again because they are just so informative. Right. Um. I may uh, be mixing some of this up too, but um, maybe my point with JavaScript is that it can be object-oriented, but it doesn't have to be. And I just pulled up like a little article about this just mm -hmm. to see if I have any basis in reality. <laughs> and they say uh, basically a lot of people don't consider it a true object-oriented language, which I don't know exactly what that means. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I think like when you talk about object-oriented pro programming, at least when I've like prepared for interviews and stuff, they say like there's the four pillars of an of object orientation, which is encapsulation, inheritance, polymorphism, and abstraction. Mm -hmm. And so maybe one of those like JavaScript doesn't do well or something. I don't know. Hmm. Um, anyways, I know that like there's. Uh, a lot of push for using JavaScript in a more functional way rather than object-oriented, yeah. even though it has like the class keyword and that sort of thing. So 
I don't know. Yeah, I, it's definitely yeah, interesting. I get what you're saying, though. It's uh, it's interesting. I'm curious to see where we'll be when I'm 50 or something. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how I mean, programming really is such a young profession, basically, or yeah. such a, a young industry. I mean, yeah. It's 60, 70 years old now, maybe. Right. Um, yeah. Which is... As some have stated in some of these talks that I listen to, that's that's nothing compared to something like yeah. engineering. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Carpentry. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Horror. So, right. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, right. they say it's the oldest profession. I mean, come on, guys. That's true. I wouldn't uh, actually. You know, that's kind of input-output too. You know. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all about data transformation (laughs) it is how many uh, kilobytes are in or would that be transportation (laughs) yeah which uh, layer is that on what is what are the you know I'm talking about like (laughs) uh, TCP whatever yeah the OSI model (laughs) oh no oh man yeah So I read, uh, I was talking to Rhett, well actually no, Rhett wasn't there, I was talking to some other friends about books we were reading, and I recently read the book Homo Deus uh, by Noah nice. Yuval Harari, it's a great book, but he just, one of his main like thesis points is that humans are just um, essentially algorithms, and uh, you can think of like our bodies and everything as sort of like data itself. Like every cell is like a piece of data. All of your neurons and everything are data that we tend to like think that we have free will and we, uh, you know, could choose to be a certain way. Right. But all, all of the data that makes us up actually sort of has this like predetermination of how we'll behave and act. And it, I don't know. Hmm. So speaking of humans as data. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, could you send me the name of that book after this? Totally. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. You gotta read. You gotta read. Uh, Sapiens. Sapiens first. Yeah, well, dude, we'll send you some links. Uh, Sounds good. Sapiens first, which is like a really awesome sort of anthropological look at human history, and then Homo Deus is the sequel, and it's a lot more about like where we're headed in terms of our evolution and things like that. It's really fascinating. Um, Sounds like it. And it's Doctor Noah Yuval Harari. Um, he's yeah, really he's com- becoming he's really one good. of my favorite authors. Yeah, he's really good. Um, and in that That's same vein, talking about the uh, data transference and input-output of whoring, um, I want you guys to know that a single sperm cell has 37.5 megabytes of info. Okay? <laughs> and I, I apologize to our listeners if this, is, if this is TMI here, but one ejaculation, therefore can transfer as much as 15,875 gigs. <laughs> that is a lot of gigs. I want to know how, like, what science they did to come up with that. <laughs> well, they did, I mean, they just look at bytes, basically, and you look yeah. at uh, DNA Genet- sequencing. The, yeah. And they figured out how much is in a single DNA, which is, you know, however many bytes of info. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder yeah. what like the human gene genome is then. Like, how it's many... not. 
here, let's Google it. Uh, how much data is in the human genome? That and then like how it compares to other animals and stuff. Uh, 2.9 billion base pairs correspond to a maximum of about 725 megabytes of data. Huh. huh. Wow. Not that much. <laughs> We're pretty simple creatures. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess yeah, my question now is which creature has the largest data set? Yeah, okay. Is it just biggest? Is it blue whale? Which animal... I think it would be <laughs> absolutely stunning if it was something like a worm. Right? right. <laughs> Has oh my god, here we go. Let's figure it out. Lungfish. Really? Protopateris ethiopicus, aka the marbled lungfish, has the biggest animal genome ever found. Its genome contains 133 billion base pairs, or 133 gigabytes. For comparison, the human genome is about 3 gigabytes, even though we just read that it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> huh. Huh. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> The lungfish. That's fish. pretty wild. Google a picture mm -hmm. of that bad boy, and that's what out I'm doing where... right now. <laughs> <laughs> and figure is this out. The... Wait, is this the one that like can live outside of water? Oh Jesus, is it? I don't know. I don't know. Someone else Google it. I got one hand. <laughs> Y'all are lucky you got me to Google these out. questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, it's... man. My internet's. Uh... Oh, there it is. No, it's not the one I'm thinking of. It says just Google they're, the they're part of the Dipnoi group, which are a group of, I'm going to butcher this, Sarcopterygian fish. They're commonly known as the lungfish. Their lung is a modified swim bladder, which in most fish is used for buoyancy and swimming, but in the lungfish also absorbs oxygen and removes waste. Interesting. Huh. So what's, interesting. what's really weird here is, so I'm getting a different answer on Google, on the top result of Google than I am from Wikipedia. Uh, of course, Google uh, cites the lungfish with 133 gigabytes. But Wikipedia says the Paris... Oh, because I said animal. Uh, interesting. Let me see. Um, so uh, <laughs> if you want to look at plants, then, the Paris japonica, uh, which is a... Some sort of plant <laughs> with power. <laughs> um, it has 150 billion base pairs, which I guess puts it at like 150 gigs by comparison. Um, unless my oh, math huh. is wrong. The flower what? has 19 billion more base pairs than the previous record holder, the marbled lungfish. That's what Wikipedia says. <laughs> uh, take that with a grain of salt. It only has three what? references. What's interesting is that I'm seeing in 2014, they cited it as the locust with 6.5 gigabytes. And I also see an article saying in 2018, the axolotl genome is the largest ever sequenced. Interesting. I mean, this is probably like it's a cutting pretty, edge science. It is so. a pretty new branch <laughs> of science. Like, Because how long ago did they finish mapping the human genome? Like not even that long yeah, ago. I think within our lifetimes, right? Right. Like it yeah. started in our lifetime, didn't it? And then like... Mm -hmm. Let's fucking figure this I out. I don't know. They might have been going in the 80s. Oh, I think it's the 90s, if my Metal Gear Solid uh, information is not <laughs> wrong. Uh, when did uh, 
finish. Uh, we're really taking this uh, <laughs> animals as data. It's interesting. It, it is, is interesting. interesting because it's, it's, it's we're talking about input output like I, and you were bringing up free will civics like I, I truly think like the older I get and the more I, I read into this it's like I, I don't know if we have free will I really don't like I, I don't understand how we could given on how we're constructed you know like I feel like we are basically uh, what what do you call it um, like a projection of like a single event you know like the Big Bang hmm. and just like how you can predict where a football is going to go once it leaves a player's fingers, like you can predict where we're going to go because after we've left the fingers of the Big Bang. You know, like hmm. I don't know, man. Like I feel like we're just kind of like yeah, just projections uh, or like we're we're on a trajectory that was set at the dawn of the universe. You know, uh, I mean, the... go ahead. Good. Oh, I was going to say, I just think it's. Always super fascinating when you hear about the idea um, that humanity as a whole could just be basically a game of The Sims. Right. Um, <laughs> how we could all just kind of be in this sort of construct. And I believe even like Stephen Hawking or Stephen Hawking <laughs> was saying. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Stephen Hawking, I think, didn't he say that there was like a 98% or 99% chance that we are living in some sort of construct um, at one point? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I know that there's some really top tier scientists that really like reject the idea. And I don't know if it's just for their own peace of mind or what, um, you know, because at you a guys, certain point it doesn't really matter. Yeah, um, it really doesn't. Like it doesn't really yeah. matter to us, even though yeah, it's like I might not believe that like free will exists, but I still am going to try to like make the best decisions I can. Mm -hmm. um, and it's that not even that I don't believe it, but it just seems like the evidence is overwhelming. Um, reminds See me the what? way we understand it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been I've mentioned this in the Discord, but there's this channel called Kurzgesagt <laughs> on YouTube. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, they have this episode. Uh, they typically it's like this really cool animated YouTube series that typically takes on some scientific topic and they have this one about optimistic nihilism and they talk about like this same question like are we real right and yeah it's great they go through all these like details about it and they come to the conclusion like conclusion it doesn't matter if we're real or right. not like we should all just try to be happy <laughs> right yeah i mean ultimately um, and, th and that's what i was gonna say it's like even if even if free will doesn't exist and we just have the illusion of free will like that's still in a sense like free will to beings that can't comprehend that it's not you know like yeah i don't know dude conan the barbarian said it best and uh uh, Queen of the Black Coast, I think he said it, uh, Robert E. Howard short story, and he said, uh, you know, let the philosophers quibble about the reality of life. As life is an he says, if I, I know one thing, if life is an illusion, then I am no less an illusion, and being thus, it's real to me. And, yeah. Uh, you know, doesn't get more oh, yeah. deep than that. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, anyway, about the Human Genome Project, it uh, spanned from 1990 to 2003. Wow. So, uh, I guess Zivix is a little younger than us, but that's definitely within our lifetime, Taylor. Yeah, I was alive when I it started. I was too. I was not. <laughs> Wait, were you alive, Rhett? You were uh, born I at the end of I guess technically it started like a month before I was born. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I'm but the still. OG here. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, but still, uh, that's yeah, dude. Metal Gear Solid did not let me down. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Sweet. Well, <laughs> anything else you guys want to talk about for now? Any other crazy topics? <laughs> I think I we got to have Zivix back on and continue the crazy topics. Hey, I would be more than happy to. There, I could ramble on about so many things for so long. Yeah, <laughs> that's the joy of podcasting, man. Um, you know, uh, just so everybody listening knows, like, what's up? Like, we've got uh, currently three episodes like on the burner that haven't been released yet, and uh, we plan on releasing all of them, including this one. Um, and uh, and Zivix has reached out, wanting to be a little bit more involved since we've been doing uh, some like less and less podcasting and stuff like that. And so, uh, me and Taylor talked it over, and I think uh, we're going to take him up on it. Um, you know, who knows exactly what that'll entail. Uh, you know, I don't know, um, how much we're thinking or what, but, uh, look forward to having him back on the show a little bit more often. Um, you know, definitely, uh, sooner than 10 months apart. <laughs> <laughs> all, all your podcasts are belong to me now. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Zivix show. Um, Hey, and, uh, you know, maybe we also we have gotta... our game jam, dude. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, y'all heard Wait. it at the top. Y'all heard it at the top of the show. But, uh, you know, there is some crazy stuff going on in the world right now, the least of which is a heated democratic election. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, there's also <laughs> a worldwide viral pandemic. Uh, the disease, COVID-19, by the virus SARS-CoV-2. Uh is propagating around the world and is expected to infect upwards of 60% of the planet. So, uh, that being said, healthcare professionals and epidemiologists around the world have asked our help to quote-unquote flatten the curve. If you don't know what that is, I suggest you Google it, but the idea being that uh, if we do not do uh, anything to slow the progress of this disease, our healthcare facilities will be overwhelmed and the impact of this disease will be more severe on the populations of whom it affects more severely. So, Game Devs Quest, throwing our hat into the ring. We're trying to help out the best we can with our, the little means at our disposal and we are asking y'all to join us for the next six weeks or so maybe less since this comes out. I don't, may, I don't know. Maybe we'll just drop all three episodes at once. I don't know. But uh, six weeks, May 1st, it will end the OMG Jam 7, the seventh iteration of our uh, small little game jam. We are cranking it up from one weekend to five or six weeks. And it is not the one mechanic game jam this time around. No, sir. It is the outbreak mitigation game jam. Still OMG. But uh, it's a little at little less uh limiting and a little more uh hopeful hopefully so uh if y'all want to get on over to our itch.io page you can check that out i believe our themes are isolation infection and network be as yep. open-minded or as lateral thinking as you possibly can with those themes and and give us your best shot and work on this game as long as you want work on multiple games if you want we don't care you could keep it one mechanic if you want, but the goal being is if you get that vibe to go to the bar or go to the beach, you sit at home and you make your game instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, 
And I know that uh, Taylor and I are going to be participating since we've got a lot of time. Uh, there's already a lot of people in our Discord, bit.ly forward slash GDQ Discord joining in. Zivix, what about you? Are you going to take a break from what you're doing and maybe put together something small? I've been thinking about it. I've been trying to decide if I'm going <laughs> I know, I put you on the spot. <laughs> um, I mean, what's, the thing is I haven't done a single OMG jam yet. I, oh, feel, like I, I feel like I need to change that. I think you might need to as well, man. This yeah. is the one. You got, like, you got till May 1st. So, this is true. I mean, heck, maybe you could pair <laughs> up with somebody too. There's a lot of people out there if you don't want to uh, bust bust on all, uh, yeah. bust it out all on your own. Um, yeah, let's just say but, I won't be writing it in C. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you guys? What tools are you going to use? Let us know in the Discord or on Twitter at Game Devs Quest. Um, you can also f- just find all of our links at GameDevsQuest.com and. Uh, also, in this dark, dark time, uh, you know, I'm working less. Taylor is working from home as much as he can. Uh, anything to help keep the lights on at Game Desk Quest is appreciated. But don't put yourself out there if you can't afford it. Pay your bills first. Take care of your families first. But if you want to, if you're so inclined to help us financially, you can uh, buy something on Humble Bundle using our affiliate link, uh, bit.ly forward slash GDQ hyphen Humble. And that uh, link will be good for 24 hours. And a little fraction of your purchase goes right into our pockets to help pay our hosting fees and keep the lights on and all that sort of stuff. Um, that being said, we hope you guys are staying safe. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. And stay the hell inside. Don't go to the beach. Don't go to the bar. Don't go to uh, whatever. Uh, Freaking sports are canceled, dude. That's how to tell you everything you got to know right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, unless you guys uh, have Zivix, anything, yeah. Tell Zivix, give us your Zivix, uh, do you have any links or social media it, link to Bewilderbots. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, in the show notes too. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at at Joe Psycholic, J O E S Y C A L I K. That's probably the best one. You can also get to my company, Jadius Games. That is J A D E U S. G-A-M-E-S on Twitter um, or go to jdsgames.com Nice. And, uh, you know, in these trying times, feel free to support Zivix by buying his game, Bewilderbots. It's worth every penny on the mobile store. It's also on Steam, if I'm not mistaken. It's a really fun mm-hmm. puzzle game. Uh, it got me through some tough times over the last summer, so thank you for that. Um, Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. So, um, unless there is anything else, that's been Game Devs Quest this week, guys. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, you music. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Joe. <laughs>